Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Uh, the reading today is from 1 John uh, 1, 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. May your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Uh, Morning, everyone. It's uh, my privilege this week to preach in chapel. And uh, we're going to do a series or start a series on the first epistle of John. Uh, Tomorrow I'll be uh, doing a sermon entitled Don't Be a Cockroach. Spoiler alert. Um, It's about walking in the light and confessing our sins. And on Thursday I'll talk about fair dinkum Christianity, about obedience and love. And today I'm talking about doctrine is not a dirty word. And for those of you who'd like to pass secret notes in class, uh, I'll give uh, props to the first person to pick up the illusion. You have to be pretty old to get it, I suspect. So 1 John 1, 1 to 4. It's uh, one of the great openings of uh, New Testament letters and of any New Testament book, actually. Um, uh, Mark 1, 1 opens with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 has that famous, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, the word was with God. And here we have uh, an equally remarkable opening passage. It's uh, got this kind of gravitas. It's uh, beautiful, elevated prose. It's typical of John. It repeats itself several times. And getting into uh, 1 John, it's it's really about learning to live in a new country because as it, things move in circles. It's kind of... Uh, Um, John was the apostle for the dim. He repeats things to make sure that uh, we get the point. So is doctrine a dirty word? I I think um, uh, doctrine used to be a personality test. Uh, If you're a big picture person, you love doctrine. And uh, if uh, you're, uh, that's true, by the way, Peter Williams has answered the question. Um, And if you're a details person, you're more into the Bible than doctrine. And I I suspect many students are like that here at college. Some of us uh, love the doctrine classes, the theology classes. Uh, Some of us are more um, drawn to the exegesis classes. But I think of late, in my experience, a third type of Christian person has emerged, and they're the kind of experienced people. got the doctrine people, the uh, Bible people and the experienced people. The Bible people might think that doctrines are kind of tedious thing, a bit of a bore, uh, but the, the experienced people sometimes feel that doctrine is something that should be avoided. It cripples evangelism, it destroys fellowship, and it even drains joy from the Christian life. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a movement in the US, Christian movement, that had all sorts of miracles happening, uh, but their doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of God was dodgy, and it really divided Christians to work out, where, well, does that really matter? 
There was actually a Ridley grad who wrote about it, um, a, a very controversial blog post. Uh, those who think doctrine matters uh, are pitted against sometimes those who value the spirit and experience unity and renewal. So is doctrine a dirty word? Uh, one John has much to say about some basic Christian doctrines that were in dispute in the church to which the apostle wrote. And uh, that's really what we're looking at in these opening verses. Uh, so the first thing we learn in 1 John concerns the doctrine of the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of the incarnation, if you like, is central to the Christian faith. That's the first thing we notice here. Certainly the doctrine of the incarnation, the divine and human in one body, the word made flesh to recall John's prologue to his gospel. Here he puts it just as beautifully. He says, the eternal life was with the father and has appeared to us. In the 1990s, I was a lecturer at the University of Aberdeen in Northeast Scotland. One of my colleagues, uh, Peter Stevens, was a, a Reformation historian and not an evangelical, but a lovely man. And he would take delight in baiting the evangelicals in his doctrine classes. So when they came to the Christological controversies of the early centuries uh, since the early church, he would ask students in class, well, how did the two natures of Christ, his human nature and his divine nature, uh, how, how do they connect? And he'd, he'd push them and eventually they'd go one way or another. And it was like... Uh, uh, Christological gotcha games. So Peter Stevens would get people to say the two natures are independent. They're separate. And then he'd say, well, that's uh, your position. That's a heresy called Nestorianism. Well, they'd say, well, the two natures are kind of mixed up, uh, muddled, if you like. Um, that's called Apollinarianism. Um, well, the two natures, well, there's just the two natures are um, well, they're not confused or separate, but there are really two persons. Well, that's Eutychianism. <laughs> and uh, um, he, he, he picked them off one by one. By the way, I had to check what these uh, heresies were called with Reese before preaching today, uh, just to show my hand as a Bible guy. But I'm going to show you here why doctrine is important. So 1 John affirms both and repeatedly how important both are for the, for the Christian life both the divine status of Christ and his humanity, affirming the full deity, full humanity of Christ in one person. Jesus is fully God. We see this in our passage. John says that uh, Jesus was from the beginning. He was the word of life. He was the eternal life. He was with the Father, the full uh, deity of Christ. There was a time... Rather, there was never a time when he was not. He's also fully human, though, and this comes through remarkably in our passage, again, with repetition. He says uh, um, that uh, John the Apostle, the we here is, is not the we of all Christians. It's the we of uh, apostolic authority, the authority of, a, of an eyewitness. He says, we heard him, we saw him, we looked at him, our hands touched him, all in verse 1. Then he repeats it in verse 2, we've seen him. Um, and then in verse 3, we've seen and heard him. So beautifully put, Jesus was a real flesh and blood human being. He was not a ghost or a, a phantom. Uh, John presents for anyone to consider 
an audible, visible, tangible witness concerning Jesus, the word of life, the eternal life, fully God and fully man, an extraordinary affirmation of a profound Christian doctrine. The word shared eternity with God the Father and stepped out from it. So the Apostle John writes to impress upon his readers the truth of the incarnation. So there's no doubt that 1 John is about doctrine. Uh, in the background, I think, is a dispute about the incarnation, which John then defends to the max. But what I want you to notice in these opening four verses is the relevance of the incarnation, according to John. The, the, the incarnation is not just something to learn, uh, to avoid being embarrassed by the likes of Peter Stevens. It's something that relates profoundly to our evangelism, to our experience of God, and to our fellowship with each other and with God. First of all, doctrine is essential for evangelism. Did you notice? He says, we proclaimed, we testified about this son of God who was also a human. We proclaim to you the eternal life, verse 2, verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Proclaimed is one of the words in the New Testament for gospel proclamation or preaching. Uh, I think in our day of uh, postmodern storytelling, we all have our own truth and we, we need to tell our own story. And I think there's some correction of uh, modernism uh, that uh, is good here because modernism said that we should approach things with dispassionate objectivity and neutrality. And some of the earliest technical New Testament commentaries would actually use that language. The problem with dispassionate neutrality is that it's impossible. All of us approach things from our own point of view. Doesn't mean there's no absolute truth, but nonetheless, uh, telling your own story is a, a good thing to do. And the Apostle Paul probably went around the Roman Empire doing exactly that. In the book of Acts, three times he tells his testimony in all sorts of different contexts. Paul Barnett, probably Australia's uh, greatest uh, historian of the early church, um, John Dixon's probably a, a close second, uh, reckons that Paul walked around the empire, that's exactly what he did. He'd walk into a synagogue and he'd tell them about the road to Damascus, what he was like before and what's happened to him, how he was seized by Jesus Christ. So I'm not against, friends, us sharing our testimony. Uh, however, evangelism is not just sharing your experience, as critical as that is. One way to find God, in fact, the only way to find God, to receive eternal life, is to hear and heed the God-appointed testimony and proclamation of the apostles. And uh, doctrine is essential for evangelism. Does experience have a place when it comes to doctrine? Well, doctrine is not only essential for evangelism, it's the basis for our fellowship with God and each other. In verse 3, the apostle says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, here it is, so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So that beautiful conjunction there, so that, really brings home the fact that doctrine is the basis for fellowship. Uh, the apostle wants them to know about the incarnation so that they might experience 
life with God, fellowship with God, both father and son, and with each other as the people of God depends on the doctrine of the incarnation of God's son. There are other bases of fellowship that people try out, uh, a common experience of the spirit, common traditions, but only doctrine is the basis for a, a, a sound and true experience of God. Uh, even performing supernatural deeds is no guarantee of true fellowship with the Father and the Son. Jesus warns in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. Many will say to me on that day, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons, perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Doctrine then, friends, is the basis of fellowship with each other and with the triune God. I'm, I'm trying out a repetitive style today to kind of mimic John's own style. It's, it's no accident, is it, that the early creeds, both the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, focus on affirming and clarifying this very truth, the doctrine of the incarnation of God's Son. It's essential to the Christian faith. It's essential for evangelism and receiving eternal life. It's essential for the uh, fellowship with God and with each other. Uh, but there's more experience that comes from the doctrine which the apostle mentions in verse 4. He says this, we write this to make our joy complete. Yes, there it is. Doctrine, rightly understood and received, brings joy. And the doctrine of the incarnation is exactly that kind of doctrine. The apostle understands the truth of the incarnation and shows its implications, importance right throughout 1 John. And here his first point is joy. When you look up the verse, uh, the word joy in the uh, uh, Johannine letters, using your best friend forever, the concordance, in 2 John 4 he writes, it gives me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. And uh, 3 John 3 and 4 says, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. Doctrine and experience go together. True joy happens when you walk in the truth. And in this case, it's not hard to see, is it? Because the fact that Jesus is both God and man means that we do have full fellowship with the Father and the Son. We can come into God's presence fully, confidently, because of the death of Jesus, because he rose and we died and rose with him. And Jesus can be our mediator because he is both God and man. An experience that's not backed up by doctrine is always going to be a little bit doubtful. There are plenty of experiences in the world, including religious ones, that could give you a feeling, but perhaps nothing else. Sometimes Christians have a joyful experience of God and spend their lives seeking it again. True experience of God is inextricably linked to the truth about God. Friends, suffering will come. Service will be costly. But there's also joy unspeakable when we walk in the truth. So, brothers and sisters, from 1 John 1, 1 to 4, uh, we learn that uh, the truth of the doctrine of the incarnation. 
And uh, my exhortation to you is this. Learn your doctrine, proclaim your doctrine, experience your doctrine. Doctrine is not a dirty word. The doctrine of the incarnation is essential for evangelism. It's the basis for fellowship, witness, proclamation, joy, indeed for eternal life. The rest of 1 John will show that the doctrine is crucial to Christian morality, unity, evangelism, assurance, and pastoral care. Tomorrow we'll look at how the doctrine of the incarnation affects our forgiveness and the joy of forgiveness we find in Christ when we have fellowship with the Father and the Son.